Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. St. Marcellus the Centurion and Martyr from Butler's Lives of the Saints The birthday of the Emperor Maximian Herculeus was celebrated in the year 298 with extraordinary feasting and solemnity. Pompous sacrifices to the Roman gods made a considerable part of this solemnity. Marcellus, a Christian centurion or captain of the Legion of Trajan, then posted in Spain, not to defile himself with taking part in those impious abominations, cast away his military belt at the head of his company, declaring aloud that he was a soldier of Jesus Christ, the eternal king. He also threw down his arms and the vine branch, which was the mark of his post of centurion. For the Roman officers were forbid to strike a soldier with any instrument except a vine branch, which the centurions usually carried in their hands. The soldiers informed Anastasius Fortunatus, prefect of the legion, by whose order Marcellus was committed to prison. When the festival was over, this judge ordered Marcellus to be brought before him, and asked him what he meant by his late proceedings. Marcellus said, When you celebrated the emperor's festival on the twelfth before the calends of August, the day on which Maximina had been declared Caesar, I said aloud that I was a Christian, and could, no, could serve no other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Fortunatus told him that it was not in his power to connive at his rashness, and he was obliged to lay his case before the emperor Maximian and Constantius Caesar. Spain was immediately subject to Constantius, who was at the time Caesar, and most favorable to the Christians. But Marcellus was sent under a strong guard to Aurelian Agricolus, vicar to the prefect of the Praetorium, who was then at Tangier in Africa. Agricolus asked him whether he had really done as the judge's letter set forth, and upon his confessing the fact, the vicar passed sentence of death upon him for desertion and impiety, as he called his action. St. Marcellus was forthwith led to execution and beheaded on the 30th of October. His relics were afterwards translated from Tangier to, to Lyon in Spain, and are kept in a rich shrine in the chief parish church in that city, of which he is the titular saint. Cashin, the secretary or notary of the court, refused to write the sentence which the vicar pronounced against the martyr, and threw his pencil and table book on the ground. Agricolus, rising in a rage from his seat, asked him why he behaved in that manner. Because, said Cashin, the sentence which you have dictated is unjust. He was immediately hurried to prison and examined again about a month after. The firmness with which he defended his former answer procured him the crown of martyrdom. He was beheaded on the 3rd of December. These two martyrs are mentioned in Roman martyrology on their respective days. We justly honor the martyrs whom God himself honors. Martyrdom is the most heroic act of divine love, and most perfect and entire sacrifice man can make of himself to God. Of all the goods of this life, people have nothing more precious and dear than their life and honor. And what stronger proof can we give of our fidelity to the law of God than to embrace with joy an ignominious and cruel death rather than consent to sin. Nor does anything require a more heroic degree of courage and firmness than to suffer torments at the very thought of which nature shudders.
God proportions his reward and crowns to the measure of our sufferings and love for him. How great then is the glory, how abundant the recompense which attends the martyrs. They rejoiced to see their torments redoubled manifold, because they had before their eyes the incomparably greater increase of grace, divine love, and eternal glory. If we shrink under the least sufferings, it is plain our faith and our idea of everlasting bliss must be very weak, and our love faint and imperfect. Good morning and welcome to the feast day of St. Marcellus of Tangier. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Albany, Oregon. The text you've heard me read is from Alban Butler's Lives of the Saints, and Butler is one of the main hagiographers that I turn to. Uh, His Lives of the Saints was published in English in 1866 by, uh, I want to say, Albert Caxton. And Marcellus is one of two um, soldier stories that occur very close together in the 290s. Uh, the other being St. Maximilian of Tebessa, now Luxor in Egypt, and Tangier, I believe, is in northern Africa as well. Um, Marcellus uh, is a centurion who, on the birthday of the, the emperors, he was overcome with, uh, you know, he's accused of being overcome with madness, but he denies that. He says simply, um, he that in another translation or another um, uh, another entry in his kind of cult, I suppose, um, uh, Marcellus says or he justifies his behavior, saying that it is not proper for a Christian to serve uh, another master, or in some translations, it's it's not okay um, for. Uh, Christians to take an oath unless it is to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned Maximilian because it happens within three years of each other, allegedly, and Maximilian um, has a similar refrain. He says, um, brought before trial for refusing to be conscripted, he says, it's not right for a Christian to serve in an earthly military. Um, and those are both valid, legitimate, biblical positions to take as a Christian soldier. But they're not the only ones. Um, Marcellus, who has been in for some time, surely more than six or seven years, if he's a centurion, the centurion in the Roman military through about the fourth century was the equivalent of a, a non-commissioned officer. You could raise to the rank of centurion of just a regular old unit, a company-sized unit um, uh, called a century. Uh, But then as you continue to raise up the ranks and be in control of other centurions who had uh, leadership over certain centuries, um, you would retain that rank of the, the nominal rank of centurion. And indeed, you would keep this vine branch that you could beat your soldiers with. Um, And this is important to the Roman audience because you're not allowed to beat up Romans, um, but you can beat up animals, you can beat up foreigners, you can beat up slaves with anything you want. A vine branch was reserved for 
ranking Romans and the military to kind of whip other Romans because it was seen as kind of at least classy. It wasn't de degrading or humiliating. And so centurions would carry these vine switches all over the place and it became symbolic just as anything does. And so we know Marcellus is a non-commissioned officer. He was not uh, a commissioned officer. He wasn't a tribune. Um, we also know he's got some amount of time in the military because he's a centurion. And we know he is probably light-skinned Italian-born because he's got this vine switch. Now, in the late empire, going in toward the 4th century and into the 5th, um, with the kind of like degrading of, I shouldn't say degrading, but the opening up of the kind of class system within Roman society, which elevated light-skinned Roman citizens, um, as that kind of degraded or went away, and the vine switch became more of a symbol of you know, military authority. Um, it's unclear when exactly this actually happened, but there's many different ways that you can interpret this story, just as there's many different ways that Christian soldiers can interpret the Bible. Marcellus, and very much like him, Maximilian, both interpreted, interpreted the Bible as saying, look, turn the other cheek, uh, don't curse those who curse you, but rather be ready to suffer punishment and consequence and suffering um, rather than you know, privilege and esteem. And Marcellus is willing to do that. Uh, in fact, in this other translation um, that David Woods has made from this text in 1970, um, it, it does talk about honor. In fact, I think in the text that I read, it, the, the stress is on honor. Um, and in you know, in Amer modern American kind of parlance that has been tied up pretty strongly with um, kind of racist notions of Southern hospitality or Southern chivalry. Uh, you know, honor has been used to do all kinds of fucked up things. Um, but it, it's also true in the Roman era, the, the antique period, um, in which, you know, you should not humiliate others unless they are actually below you. Um, we don't have caste systems in the United States, at least not formally. Um, but the same kind of sentiment is there is that everybody has their place. And to, you know, we have to both keep our own within some bounds of, you know, cultural propriety, but we also have to be prepared to discipline those cultures, groups, whatever that we think are below us. Um, and now that is not to legitimate or rationalize the caste system, but to help us understand what Marcellus is doing and what's within the text, contained within the text, I think it's important to point out the context within which they are operating. And I mentioned Maximilian in, as well, because in the 290s is shortly after Diocletian takes power and he leads the, f the first full and formal um, uh, martyrdom or persecution of Christians. And it almost always has to do with tribunes and high-ranking NCOs because they are the ones that the emperor has the most access to, most control over. The Stratiotis, the grunts, like Caesar doesn't give a shit. The lowest-ranking grunts didn't have to, you know, uh, make an oath to Caesar because who gave a shit whether the grunts are doing it? I, you know, the emperor, the imperial imagination only cares if other power figures are reinforcing your own power. 
So it's important to keep in mind the context that Marcellus, Maximilian, both are operating within this new and um, historically reliable period of persecution. Um, and they're saying, look, in this army that I've known, that I've seen for, at this point, 13 years, in 285 is when Diocletian took power and began his pogroms. Um, if, if this is truly 298, and the persecution wasn't lifted until 304 or 312, depending on who you believe, um, the Edict of Milan or uh, the rising of power in uh, Constantine I, um, their context is different. Um, Diocletian's army is not, you know, the United States Army. It wasn't, uh, you know, um, Nero's army, who was not Christian and didn't, you know, didn't care about Christians unless they <laughs> could be a scapegoat for the fire at Rome. Uh, and so Marcellus is this really interesting character, not only for his his ancient history, but also um, years and years and years ago when the University of Notre Dame, a Catholic university in South Bend, Indiana, was looking for uh, you know, relics to put in their main altar, which would, would eventually become the Basilica of the Sa uh, Sacred Heart. They found these relics in Northern Africa and they brought them back. And they knew the name, but they didn't know anything beyond the name and the church in which he was venerated. And it wasn't until the, the pacifist John Howard Yoder, who was also a sexual predator, it wasn't until he identified who those remains were that Notre Dame and the surrounding community realized they have a soldier saint under their altar, uh, which is funny because Notre Dame puts a lot of effort into ROTC programs, very supportive of the military, didn't ban ROTC programs during Vietnam. Um, and so this, this duality of patriotism, uh, certainly, which can be easily corrupted, you know, I think Notre Dame's is God and country Notre Dame's motto is God and country, God, country, family, I think. Um, and we don't always believe if, if other Christians really possess the kind of um, guardrails for um, nationalism, religious nationalism that we would like to. Um, but to have this soldier saint who was martyred uh, by his own government in 295 um, hopefully preserves some guardrails there. Um, the Catholic Peace Fellowship, which was very strong in the 2000s and into the 2010s, for many years would hold a pilgrimage to the um, the altar of the Basilica of the Sacred Heart and and expose the relics for everybody for pilgrims to see. And they would um, they would recite this play of Marcellus's feast day based on another uh, another uh, passion, um, and they would have you know a, a lecture or a an event um, remembering the saint and remembering the anti-military, or I'm sorry, the anti-imperial, certainly, um, uh, you know, kind of viewpoints of Marcellus and telling Notre Dame and the wider Catholic American community, look, these stories are formative. These are the stories that are supposed to shape us, that we mustn't forget to keep those guardrails against religious nationalism. We have other saints that recognize the nuance in military service. And Marcellus, I would argue, is one of them if he had served for so long before he finally came to the point where he said, I'm not going to swear an oath unless it's to Jesus. Um, and so Marcellus is this reminder among, you know, as one of many military martyrs who was killed by his own government 
um, it's a reminder to us that the nations of the world are fleeting and to not put our all of our eggs in one basket and think that you know our country is really you know God's first and foremost or or perhaps only um, avenue of, of of action in in a fallen human world because it's not true God does not restrict God's self to one nation um, the Israelites I think included because to be a goyim to be a Gentile was to be one of the nations. Um, and so it's important on Marcellus's feast day um, to remember the prophetic witness that the church has maintained against extremism and religious nationalism, um, but rather to keep those guardrails up and to only allow our loyalty to be given over to the authorities of the world insofar as they honor, glorify God and the order, the, the just and peaceful order that God instilled in creation at the beginning. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with Pew Pew HQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.